This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks. This week's it's going to be Premier League, Champions League, Europa League. We've got two pundits for you today, one of whom is a Manchester United fan and one of whom is a Liverpool fan. So, uh, which I think has worked out pretty well. So, uh, representing Manchester United, we have Sean Malhotra. Hello, everyone. Really depressing, isn't it? (laughs) It's all right, we'll bounce back. (laughs) <laughs> and Liverpool, we have Asran Rosin. Hey everyone, I'm in seventh heaven at this point of time. Okay, because we have to start with well, it was Liverpool seven and Manchester United nil. That's right, seven nil. We were trying to remember the the last time a scoreline like this happened. Uh, it's been a while, and uh, so I think uh, we have to start with you, Sean. Where where did it go wrong? I was looking at uh, Manchester United Twitter and. A lot of people were complaining about Fernandez, complaining about Luke Shaw's tracking back. Where did it go wrong? Oh, it's a combination of so many things and so many people. I don't want to to make excuses for the team because, in my mind, going to Anfield is already a, a massively difficult proposition. A draw, or a, a draw would have been to me a great result. But one thing that looked abundantly clear was that the players all looked so tired when your Casemiro drops you at zero out of ten after like ten minutes you know it's gonna go bad I can I can I can give a thousand and one reasons as to why United didn't look good and there were players that didn't look good and blah 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 I think the team that was put out was the right team but I think the reaction from the team was completely wrong for example all of us here has been you know on Harry Maguire for multiple things about being a bad captain about being a bad player blah 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 but you got to also dish it out to those who are wearing the armbands now and that's Bruno Fernandes as my Manchester United captain you know I've I've grown up with the likes of Roy Keane and 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 so many great captains for United I don't want to see a Manchester United captain constantly screaming at the referee, constantly dropping to the ground, constantly crying. That's not the leader of Manchester United. Another player that I wanted to single out today was Anthony. You've been given the opportunity to start on the right against, you know, Andy Robertson. You've been given the freedom and in United constantly looked for Anthony. But every time the ball got to him, play died. The, The ball just stopped moving. Nothing else happened. Fair play to Liverpool. They capitalized on United being absolutely awful. Probably the worst performance in my lifetime. But it's not all doom and gloom for me. Yes, losing 7-0 to Liverpool is United's biggest defeat in 92 years. In all <laughs> competitions, by the way. My God. But I still see uh, you know, the bright side of it. It's painful, yes. Especially to be in the presence of a Liverpool fan today. It's painful, but we take it on the chin. Well, Asran, 7-0. Um, if the question to Sean was, where did it go wrong with Liverpool? Where did it go right? First and foremost, I think Liverpool has been on the right foot recently. Really, I think the performances for the past few matches has been nearly to Liverpool standards. In fact, when Liverpool played Real Madrid and scored two goals early on, I thought that was the usual Liverpool. Unfortunately, after the 21st minute, this season started for us. So it was a repeat of the mistakes that we've seen, the defensive mistakes that we've seen for the past months. But now I think with a clear, I think the preferred centre-back pairing of um, Konate and Van Dijk, they are back. And I think they've 
that's given a bit of confidence to the Liverpool back line. And again, up, up front, Salah, Gakpo, Nunes, they know each other better now. And what better way to score uh, than to score two goals each with uh, Bobby Firmino scoring the last goal to cap off such a fantastic, fantastic uh, career with Liverpool. Mm. Yeah, it's um, th- that's kind of a sad note, really. But uh, you said they were tired. They looked tired to me. And this is almost the, the same situation that Liverpool were in last season. They were up for a quadruple, mm-hmm. at playing every single match. Liverpool managed to get pretty much to the end of the line. Didn't quite... But this many matches... I mean, after all, United also have a, a Europa League match coming up this week, which would be the priority, would it not? No, oh, definitely. I, that's why I said, you know, I to me, there's still a, a, a bright part to all of this is United are still in third. United are still six points ahead of, uh, or five points ahead of Spurs, something like that. And then, you know, United are still seven points ahead of Liverpool, whoever game in hand. But, or something along those lines, sorry. But comfortably in third at the moment, into the quarterfinals against Real Betis, who are losing, who have lost two of their very, very important players for the game, playing at home, in the quarterfinals for the FA Cup. I said this after the League Cup win. If United ended the season in the top four with another cup on top of the League Cup, to me, for a team that was abysmal last season, who was blatantly horrible in every sense, to finish this season in a top four plus with two trophies would be, in my mind, a success. So this, to me, painful day, losing to Liverpool, but it's not the end. Yeah, um, maybe if I can echo yeah, yeah. what um said, uh, obviously seven is appears to be the number at this point of time, right? And United are seven points ahead of Liverpool. So, I uh, personally, I think Eric Ten Hag has done a fantastic job. Perhaps yesterday was a blip, really. I think, first and foremost, obviously, they were in such a run of form. And he made certain comments that sort of was undermining the importance of the Red Road Derby, the importance of playing at Anfield. Perhaps he wanted to give his players confidence. But I think it sort of had the opposite effect in galvanizing the Liverpool players as well as the Liverpool fans. Yesterday, everyone was up for it. Uh, even from the from the first whistle, uh, I know people were saying Liverpool didn't have a shot until when Gakpo scored. But I think on the overall possession, Liverpool had more possession. True, United could have scored, but uh, I would echo the fact that I think unfortunately for United yesterday, they came with a sense of arrogance. Obviously, they were a team in form. Probably they undermined the fact that they thought they were playing a Liverpool squad that was really, really down in the dumps. But uh, little did they know, perhaps Liverpool is really on the way up, and uh, the fight for fourth is now clearly on. Uh, obviously, for me, I think United is in the driving seat. But between Liverpool, Spurs and Newcastle, clearly this, there's, 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 there's battles to be fought there. And who knows, United, if they've got other sort of um, priorities in the Europa and whatnot, might take their attention away uh, from top spot. But again, I would echo, uh, United at the start of the season, if you tell them that they would have won one, tight, one cup and ending in the top fourth, I think that would have been an, a successful season so far. Eric Ten Hag has, I would say, uh, steered the ship. As much as it's painful for me to say it, but I think they've really got a good manager and they're in good hands at this point of time. But 7-0 is still 7-0 yesterday night, though. Uh, and uh, so you reckon fourth place at the end of the season for Liverpool? I, I am quietly confident. Well, not as quiet, but I'm confident. I think uh, we're there. We're, we're, we're there. Yeah, yeah. So from top to bottom, I would like to now jump uh, it might seem a bit strange, but to the Nottingham Forest 2, Everton 2, because this is a battle at the bottom. It's so tight at the bottom. And I'm also going to throw in the the, the West Ham being beaten by, by Brighton 4-0. Uh, 
Sean, I don't know if you watched this match with with Forrest. A point apiece probably doesn't help either side. In the grand scheme of things, a point each could have been it could be very important come the end of the season. Nicholas said this two three weeks ago. Five teams are scraping it out at the bottom down there. Everton have lost what two or three games on the bounce. Forest have lost two on the bounce. Both teams needed three points, but taking this one point in hindsight could be massive for both teams. In a way, I think the team that's going to feel worse about this point is going to be Forest. Forest looked to me the better team, mm. but unfortunately, you know, you don't take your chances, you don't, you know, get solid, and they are where they are because of this predicament. But I feel like Everton having this one point could be big for them. You know, they they lost to to Leeds a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, which was terrible. But getting this draw against Forest again, hindsight could be huge for them come at the end of the season. I still think the likes of Southampton and Bournemouth are going down. So that final spot to me is between Everton, Forest, Leeds, West Ham, and possibly Wolves, because Wolves are still down there as well. So, but their win is massive. Yeah, and there's so, just there's nothing in it. They, uh, see what uh, Everton on uh, 22 points in 18th, up to Wolverhampton Wanderers 27 points in 13th. A, yeah. a couple of a couple of wins or losses. It's still extremely changes. close. Any one of those teams down there could, could could go down. And again, we could say you know one point may not be something that's beneficial for both teams, but looking at how things are going down there, a point could actually be huge for both teams. Mm. So we're going to uh, look at the race at the top of the league in a moment when we come back here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself and Sean and Asran. And now Asran, Arsenal 3, Bournemouth 2. It was uh, <laughs> it was a lot of action happening in here. First goal in 16 seconds, the last goal, 97 minutes. Uh, you got to give credit to Arsenal fighting back. But what I saw was Bournemouth scoring two goals, the bottom place team scoring two goals against the top place team. Yeah, I, I think that game was what Premier League has to offer. And actually, for me, it tells the tale of really two seasons, if I can call it. One, a season of unprecedented, everything going right for Arsenal. And the other one is everything going wrong for Bournemouth. I think this is not the first time that Bournemouth has done it. If you recall, they did it against Newcastle, leading against Newcastle and losing at the very last minute as well. Similar uh, against Chelsea. So the problem with Bournemouth is they're leaking, absolutely leaking goals. So when Bournemouth scored in the first minute and, and even after they, they added on a second goal, we knew that Arsenal was going to at least tie the game. And true enough, uh, they tied the game. Obviously, uh, Ben White's first ever goal for Arsenal. What a time to do it. And they kept on going at it. And somehow you sort of had that feeling that Arsenal was going to score. It was a matter of time. But truth be told, during the very last corner, you thought, is it actually Arsenal season derailing? But what a goal uh, to put them uh, ahead by Reese Nielsen. So I think, uh, personally, I've said it before. I think this is Arsenal season. They've done fantastically well and everything's going right for them. And unfortunately for Bournemouth, I think that's it for them. Uh, they are leaking too many goals, even though they're scoring. So they are, I would echo what Sean said, they are, the, my first favourite to go down. And Sean, how how are Arsenal doing it? There's a lot of people talking, and I think Arsenal alluded to it, that it's it's psychological, because we've seen Arsenal sort of just collapse psychologically in the past. But it can't just be psychological. They 
it must be a structured uh, game plan that is working for them. I mean, you gotta keep in mind, Arsenal started this game without a recognizable number nine, right? And you look at teams who are performing at the top of the table. Champions' performances are not just going out and winning 4-0, 5-0 every week. It's also digging in deep when things go bad, which is something Arsenal has not had. It's a sense of belief that I think Mikel Arteta has spread throughout the entire dressing room. Everyone has this belief that they can go on to win. It's not the first time they've done it this season. They also came back, I mean, not came back, but won the game in the very dying seconds against United, you know, at the Emirates. When it was 2-0, I was telling my buddy who's an Arsenal fan, I said, I don't think this is over. Arsenal has looked like the better team anyway. It's a matter of time before they score. And when Reese Nelson, it's poetic that a hail end boy who comes from the Arsenal Academy scores a, one of the best goals of the season on his weaker foot, top bins in the last second of the game. To me, it just brought me back to the days of when United were under Ferguson and Makeda scored their winner against Villa, which in a way, won United the, the league. Because you, you look at games like this where you, you don't think they're going to win it. But the very end, they pull it out. It's a champion's performance. And these are the kind of games where Arsenal fans will look back at the end of the season and go, wow, this could have been the game that actually won us the league. And which I honestly think is the game that's won them the league. Yeah, the league still got a few more games to go and whatnot. But if you can pull out wins like this, anything is possible. Yeah, a, a typical... Um football fan there who who can't help but uh, ultimately talk about his own team. And of course, I have to think of, of championship winning teams. You yeah. know? I can't mention no, many I teams. think I think you're absolutely right. I think that there is a strange uh, kind of Ferguson-like quality there yeah. fighting to the last minute. I, I mean, I was wondering, do you agree that there's, there's, there is a battling spirit? And is that enough? Yeah. Um, you know what? I think confidence, it brings confidence. You know, even though you're expected to win against the last place team, playing at home, but the nature of how you did it, scoring the last goal, makes you feel invincible, no? So whatever game that is trusted towards them, obviously they're in the Europa League as well. But I am quite sure that uh, the league is their main priority. Uh, the Europa League is just to continue probably playing well, the rich vein of form that they're playing. And talking to what Sean said, um, playing without a recognisable centre-half. But the thing about their forward line is that anybody can slot into... Again, it's, you know what they say, the false nine, right? The typical... Barcelona, Spanish sports style of playing. So, uh, Gabriel Martinelli slotted there. And then, even though Saka comes in from the right. So, they've, they've got various players that can really cause mayhem in the uh, opponent's box. So, it's all about confidence and Arsenal has got that. They've got, they've, they've really got the advantage. I totally, honestly don't see them um, uh, slipping through. And the thing is, because normally you see a city that continuously wins like 15, 16 games on the trot. This city team, I think, their main priority is winning the Champions League. So they've got other things on their mind. So with that, I think uh, it's definitely Arsenal's to lose. Well, uh, speaking of Man City, Sean, your second or maybe third team, I'm not quite sure, uh, they beat Newcastle 2-0. Newcastle, who have been struggling of late and just don't look like the team that they were, what, six weeks ago? And um, uh, Phil Foden scores. And I have to say, Sean, I'm not entirely sure what Phil Foden does for City, I I recognise more clearly what he what he does with England, um, but for City, is, uh, is I think he you know you look at Phil Foden when Pep came into the City all those years ago, he singled out Phil Foden very early on as a kid that's going to have a bright future at City, and it's shown he he's naturally a, a number ten of sorts is where Kevin De Bruyne plays, 
But the way Pep plays Foden, you realise he gives him a lot of freedom. Possibly a lot more freedom than a lot of the players around him. So he can he can drift out wide, he can come centrally, he can go forward, he can play pretty much as a, a second number nine next to Haaland. He started the season slowly for, for, for Foden's standards, right? He started very poorly. Maybe it's, uh, you know, hangover from the Euros or whatever. But he started the season very slowly, which can be said about a lot of the City players, but he's slowly showing again why he's possibly one of the best youngsters, not just in the Premier League, but in in the, in world football. He's creative. He can he has an eye for a goal. He's a joy to watch. It's painful for me as a United fan to say it, of course, but I think he is absolutely fantastic. If you take away the likes of Erling Haaland's goals, you take away the fact that KDB is one of the most creative players in the world, Phil Foden is up there. He's a joy to watch. I feel for Newcastle. I do. But it's a trend that's becoming a norm now where they do get chances but just don't know how to score. Yeah, speaking of which, Asran, Newcastle. Uh, question number one, Eddie Howe out? And uh, is it that they just come to the limits of... I mean, they they, they bought sensibly, they but they didn't get the, the, the superstars that they can afford. Do they, do they need to make that step up and start getting real predictable goal scorers? <laughs> First and foremost, I don't think so. And I really hope not. If Chelsea can stay on with Potter, Eddie Howe has done a far better job at Newcastle there than uh, Potter has. So talking about which, I think unfortunately it feels, or it appears as, as if the wheels are falling off. I think Newcastle, where they are at now, was built on a very, very solid defence. And obviously that brought them to the final of the Culling Cup. Probably they have a bit of a hangover from that loss, unfortunately. Again, and the method or the manner on how they lost, the fact that they lost Nicky Pope in the game prior to that, uh, to, to, to suspension. And again, uh, it was their first final in, what, since 1999. And they haven't won uh, a, tie, uh, a cup since, what, in the 60s. So they had really, they really, really wanted something then. And unfortunately, um, they were beaten by a better United team. So now, um, the problem with Newcastle, I think, is the defence is... Again, maybe it's just a blip, but it doesn't appear as solid as it was before. Uh, uh, ben Botman, who's been an absolute, you know, um, magnificent towering defender at the back, uh, he's showing signs of uh, maybe tiredness. So with that, they're conceding goals. Uh, and um, uh, it's against City team that was uh, it's a really, really good City team. But the thing is, uh, even in the game, you saw that um, Wilson, Callum Wilson had a chance where he fluffed it. So Completely, the confidence yeah. is probably not there. Uh, maybe it's just a blip uh, for exactly the Carling Cup, Carabao Cup final. So what they need to do is obviously regain composure. They really, really need to be in the top four. We mentioned before, uh, Eddie Howe has bought sensibly. But if they qualify for the Champions League, then he will be given probably a blank check to buy whoever he wants and players would want to come to Newcastle if they're in the Champions League. So now it's very, very crucial for them in the top four. With Spurs, okay, Spurs, after this, we'll talk about them, how inconsistent they are, but with a resurgent Liverpool team, it's going to be tough times. It's going to be uh, exciting times for the race for top four as well. Uh, I think we see the top two battling it out, the bottom battling out, as well as the race for top four. It's still on. Yeah, uh, Sean, uh, Ashraf mentioned Spurs inconsistency I know I did I disagree I think they're very consistent they're <laughs> consistently bad and uh but we have to rem remember with this game Wolves won Spurs nil Spurs had 21 shots six of which were on target I think Wolves though had five on target 54 percent possession but they lost and uh, it was a great goal by Traore 
But um, I mean, was it just bad luck? But or or, or the misfire? I mean, Kane was. I don't know. Did Kane do anything? The Spurs are a team that really. I mean, we can all joke and say it's Spurs being Spurs, but it's a team that really confuses me because one week I, I look back at the City game. They outplayed City from pretty much the first whistle in every tactical sense. Yeah, they didn't have much possession, but you know they knew how to get the goals and get the job done. These are the games where if you're chasing for a top four position, you've got to you've got to iron it out. You've got to go for it. You've got to be able to to to, to you know dig in deep and win these kind of games. I look back to the fact that this was also a very big game for Wolves because they're still in that 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 bottom five or sorts. Scrap, you know, and a one 0 win for them is is massive against a Spurs team that possibly no one would have given them a chance against. When it comes to Spurs, I just keep going back to the fact that they're so inconsistent in terms of when they'll win, when they'll they'll lose. Because games you expect them to lose in, they'll win. Games you expect them to win in, they'll drop points, and this could be detrimental to that top four placing for them. But again, I have to say what Giorgio Clelini said many years ago when Juventus played Spurs. It's Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone likes to say that one. Um, hey, Azran, Spurs. They are presently fourth. I don't know how. I don't know how. I think we we should have a recount. They actually they're probably like tenth. Just no one actually's counted it correctly. Because um, are they going to stay there? By the end of the season, they're going to defy the odds and just sort of like somehow sneak in. Because if they do drop below and get out of the Champions League, I could foresee the breakup of this entire Spurs project. Yeah, I think we've mentioned really, I totally, truly believe Antonio Conte won't be there at the end of the season. Uh, but having said that, he's still got, he's still playing the Champions League. They're still playing Milan. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they put in an absolute show against Milan and then lose again uh, during the weekend. So, that's the story of Spurs season. Um, I think, personally, if I'm, let's say, uh, I'm as a Liverpool fan, right? Um, this is like an F1 race. The driver in front of me that I think I will be able, definitely be able to overtake is definitely Spurs for me. So the major challenges for top four as a Liverpool fan is probably uh, United and Arsenal because Spurs. The problem is they 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 haven't, you know, strengthened their season at all. It's from the start of the season until now. It's been the same Spurs. They are good one game bad the next. Probably Harry Kane isn't firing on all cylinders. Obviously, that penalty miss in the World Cup is still haunting him somewhat. Um, yeah, and they, again, to be fair to them as well, they've been quite unlucky with injuries in the midfield, in the back, at the back. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be definitely, I think, back to your question. I see, unfortunately, for Spurs, a new project coming up in the summer. Uh, but, in the meantime, who knows what they can do in the Champions League. Antonio Conte is a good manager. Spurs still have, have got good players. It's just Talking about the Champions League and how awful Spurs are one week to the next, it's a matter of in one leg how well they can win and in the other leg how not badly can they lose sort of thing, you know? So that's that's how it goes in the Champions League as well. So for me, Spurs, unfortunately, I don't see them uh, in the top four at the end of the season. Well, what's the name of the uh, Napoli's manager? And uh, does he speak English? I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I doubt it. He's always been in the, in the Serie A. He's been managing so many different clubs. Spalletti. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe though. Uh, okay, in a moment, we're going to go to the Champions League and then Europa League here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9.
Uh, welcome to part three, where we're going to be looking at the Champions League, previewing the matches coming up this week. And Sean, I want to start with Chelsea versus Borussia Dortmund. And uh, Borussia Dortmund will be going in with a one-goal lead uh, over the weekend. We didn't mention it when when we were doing our Premier League review, but uh, Chelsea scored a goal. They scored mm. a goal. Who knew? And they they beat Leeds. Uh, Dortmund, meanwhile, are at the top of the uh, level on points, at the top of the Bundesliga. So Chelsea, they just they have to. Keep, they have to go. They got to get into the Champions League spots, but it doesn't look likely. And the only way, otherwise, would be to win the Champions League. Is that going to happen? I don't think so. But as I always say, you take a game at a time. This could be a great game for Chelsea coming up in the sense that you got a huge boost beating Leeds over the weekend. Yes, you can say it's only one nil, you know, but they got a goal. A team that's been so low on confidence, not performing well, spent a lot of money, but now they're in a very good position where they, they're only a goal behind against Dortmund, right? They're playing at home. There's every opportunity that they can go out there and actually win the game. I look at it as Borussia Dortmund are playing some of their best football in, in years since probably the, the Klopp era, right? And it's funny because they lost the likes of Jadon Sancho in the last three years or two years. They lost Haaland, but they look like a better team now. I personally feel it will be a, a score draw at, at Stamford Bridge, right? So a 1-1 or a 2-2 or a 3-3. And that will put Dortmund through. But I think if Graham Potter knew the, the significance of Champions League football for Chelsea Football Club, I, I hate saying this, but he has to put all his eggs in one basket and really go all out for the Dortmund game. The problem that Graham Potter has had since he's joined Chelsea is he's not, he's not found out what his best eleven is. So he's going to constantly change this team. And it's going to cause confusion. It's going to cause problems. He can't continue doing that. And a game as significant as this Champions League tie against Dortmund, he needs to figure out what his best eleven is. And if he doesn't, Dortmund's going to run all over them. They're going to free score against Chelsea. Yeah, Azran, I could foresee a situation where if uh, Dortmund win by, I don't know, 5-0 or something, that could be the end of Potter. But this Dortmund team, are they, are they the kind of team that can uh sweep aside the likes of Chelsea? Um I don't th- I think I, I I would agree to what Sean said. I don't think they will see, sweep all over Chelsea, but I do foresee a score draw and that would mean the end of Chelsea's season because realistically they are out of the top four this season and being out the Champions League that probably will spend uh will spell the end of Graham Potter. Maybe they won't sack him now uh, because no no like a right-minded manager will want to take a position that difficult this end of the season. But probably they will start talking to other reputable managers to start a new project in the summer. But it's going to be tough not being in the Champions League, being out, and so many new players coming in. Uh, it's a very, very difficult job at Chelsea. And again, being in a job at Chelsea, you know what you're getting at if you're a manager. You're probably going to be paid very well living in London and so on and so forth. But you know that the owners have never been patient people. So you know it's success or out. It's it's winning or out for you immediately. And they expect instant success, especially with the amount of investment that they put in. So uh, again, I really do see Dortmund going through this time around. And unfortunately for Chelsea fans, it's it's tough to see. Tough to see. And it's going to be a tough next season, at least for them, I would see as well, if they get knocked out. But yeah, who knows? Weird results have happened, like yesterday. So I, 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 I'm sorry, though. Honestly, yeah. I don't think even if, if Chelsea were to get knocked out of this tie... 
I don't think Graham Potter is going to get the sack. And that's a, a, the, the only reason I'm saying that. It's not because of, oh, you know, there might not be someone they can bring in in the time being and everything. But the word around Chelsea is that they're really buying into this project that Graham Potter has. I don't know what this project is because I've not seen any developments on it. But I always have this belief that if you bring in a manager midway through the season or, or, or whatever it might have been when Thomas Tuchel got sacked, he needs a preseason with the team. And if that's the same belief that Todd Bowley has, I don't think Graham Potter gets the sack. Even if Chelsea were to finish in 15th, and I'm just throwing it out there because they're closer to 15th than they are to the top four. So I honestly think Graham Potter's job is safe. It's just that the Chelsea fans would probably lose their minds. Yeah. But I I do foresee, though, next season, it's uh, either going to be a cigarette-smoking Italian in his 60s <laughs> or a German, perhaps bearded German, in his 40s. Not a tea-drinking Spaniard? Well, uh, well it's Spaniard, they're not the, the, the flavor of the, the month, really, these days. <laughs> but maybe, maybe. Um, let's move forward, though, to uh, Bayern Munich versus PSG. Now, Bayern Munich have the one-goal advantage. Neymar uh, is out. Mbappe is is scoring. Uh, so, glamorous PSG, Asran, will sweep aside Dower Bayern Munich. Nah, I think uh, for me, once again, PSG will be knocked out of the Champions League. That- the tournament that they really, really want. Because obviously, the French League is a given. And even then, they've made it hard for themselves this season in uh, in Ligue 1. But uh, in the Champions League, 1-0, Bayern knows how to do it. They've been there before. They know how to beat PSG. They're a solid, resilient squad. And even in the Bundesliga, they've, I mean, they haven't won magnificently. This is not the, you know, the stylish Bayern that we've seen a couple of seasons ago. But this is a Bayern that knows how to grind up results. So, unfortunately for PSG, I don't see them overcoming uh, the tie, especially in the Allianz Arena. Um, so, it's it's two big, big, big teams going out. That would be my prediction. Uh, Chelsea and PSG, two, two flamboyant. So, uh, Sean, Bayern Munich, uh, they're at the top of the Bundesliga. For those of us who don't watch the Bundesliga as much as we should, w- what is it about Bayern that, that can translate itself into onto the European stage. I mean, Thomas Muller, he's, he's been benched, but he's he must be, I don't know, 50 by now? He's yeah. older than me, isn't he? <laughs> I, the, the thing that I've always liked about Bayern, aside from them pretty much, you know, capitalizing on their entire league and buying players, whoever they want from any other team, is the fact that they also don't forget the leaders in their team. I look back to the likes of, you know, Philipp Lahm back in the day, Schweinsteiger, Manuel Neuer, you look at their team now, you you see that Thomas Muller doesn't start every game. And that's understandable because I think he's like 36, 37 now. But his leadership goes without without saying. He's seen it all, done it all at Bayern. And that's the, the beauty of Bayern Munich is that you have Thomas Muller there. You have Manuel Neuer still there. These two guys who understand what it's like to win trophies and win the Champions League with Bayern Munich. To them, this is just going to be another game. You know, for most people... For most other teams would be like, oh my God, it's PSG. Oh my God, it's Mbappe, one of the best players in the world. To Thomas Muller, it's, oh, Mbappe, okay, no problem. We'll just do our usual thing. Because they have that mentality of, it's just another game. We just got to be professional, go out there and do what we know best and win the game. That's it. That's the championship mentality that all those Bayern Munich players have as compared to those PSG players who don't know what it's like to win such a lucrative and illustrious trophy in the Champions League. No, they don't, do they? 
Nope. I was just thinking, so, well, I don't know, Mbappe, didn't he? No. You got, you got Messi. You can yeah, say, yeah, Messi. And, and maybe if I can add on, it's, it's a very, very United Bayern squad. Again, this is different from the FC Hollywood that Bayern were coined in the 90s, no? This is a very United squad. As uh, Sean mentioned, uh, Menno Neuer, Thomas Müller, even though they're not playing, because Neuer obviously broke his leg, and there were some incidents, of, of obviously, with the sacking of his, uh, the goalkeeping coach of Bayern, but they're still United. They're still, you know, pulling for each other, and they know how to win. And PSG, without Neymar, and obviously Messi, again, he's getting back to the Messi, but you have to understand, this is not a 28-year-old Messi. <laughs> this is a post-35-year-old Messi who's actually won everything, uh, winning the World Cup. So probably even for Messi, does he, has, does he have the desire or the burning ambition to win the Champions League with PSG? Maybe not. The only player there that really wants to win something with PSG is probably Mbappe. But Mbappe can't do everything on his own, especially not against a really, really solid Bayern team that knows how to be there and have won a lot of things in their illustrious uh, history. Yeah, if you're Messi and you and you literally have won everything, it, it's kind of like, why do you even get out of bed? It's like, no, I just stay in bed. I'm the champion of the world. Um, <laughs> exactly. That's why I think, uh, you know what, Cam? I think, I really do believe that he'll probably, for nostalgia reasons, go back to Argentina and play for um, for his old team. Uh, Newell's old boys, probably. I, I, or is it? It's Newell's old boys, isn't it? That he, yeah. he was from. I know. So he was, I, he, I was, he was five years old. Exactly. Um, I do see him playing one season for them, and still probably scoring thirty goals in the Clausura <laughs> Championship. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so, Sean. Meanwhile, uh, Spurs are going to be playing AC Milan. So, uh, AC Milan will have the one goal advantage, and I, I kind of feel like we've written off Spurs maybe too early, because. Is it about this? I was looking at the wage bills. Now, I don't know if these these numbers are correct. The best I could find. So, for instance, Spurs' wage bill is estimated by some people anyway to be £126 million per year, whereas AC Milan is £74 million per year. And there are other figures which are way, way higher for Spurs. Nowadays, is it about the money? Because AC Milan has this incredible name. And once upon a time in the 90s, they were the big spenders. Does the money win you um, the big games? It's one of the variables, sure. But, I mean, that's not always the case. I mean, if we, we use that that sense that, you know, money wins you games and everything or wins you championships, just look at the Premier League. Arsenal are ahead of City, ahead of United, ahead of the bigger spenders. Yeah, you know, Arsenal did spend a lot of money, but they didn't spend as much as City or United. So there is always also things down to tactics. There's things down to player talent and everything. Yeah, you could say, sure, Spurs spend more money. And that's only because of the reality of how Europe is right now and how the Premier League garners the most amount of money. By circumstance, I guess, you know, Spurs have the most money. But like you said, in the 90s, AC Milan were rolling in dough. So now it's just how how game the game evolves, right? But I say, hey, a lot of people would say probably Liverpool, Real Madrid is the best high of the Champions League. I said, nah, Spurs, AC Milan. Why? Oh, yeah? Two teams that are performing so badly in their respective leagues in the sense of that they can't pick up wins. AC Milan got smashed 5-2 to Sassuolo over the weekend. So you, you're looking at two teams who need a win. So you expect a blockbuster game. <laughs> so that's so that's why I'm like, this probably is going to be a great game. I feel Spurs edge this win. They, they'll come through and beat AC Milan. But I think it's going to be a great game. Oh, I was wrong. So Sean is sort of like uh, thinking like two drunkards kind of like going at each other. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> is, is that how it's going to be? 
Uh, yeah, again, I think I would sort of agree to what Sean said. Milan has been the Spurs in the um, Serie A at this point of time. Uh, winning one game and losing the next. Uh, they haven't got the rhythm running. Uh, but talking about the wage bill, yep, Milan during Silvio Berlusconi's time was the big spenders in uh, the Serie A together with Juventus. But now under Stefano Pioli, they've gotten really prudent. I think Stefano Pioli has gotten a really industrious side. Unfortunately, this season they've had injuries, when uh, they've got problems with injuries and form, uh, especially after the World Cup break. So it's going to be, as you put it, uh, a battle between two drunken boxers. Um, again, with Spurs, you never know which Spurs are going to turn up. If it's the Spurs that we saw against City, definitely it's going to be an easy win against them. But if it's the Spurs that we see capitulating uh, the following weekend against all these relegation battlers, I do see Milan um, having a shot. Uh, and Milan carrying the one nil lead, they just need not to lose. You know? A scoring draw would be enough. So it's a matter of which Spurs turn up. I, I really want to see Milan go through for the sake of the Serie A. But um, yeah, uh, Spurs might be, if they play to their abilities, they should be able to go through. Because I, I can't help think, but think of the uh, AC Milan of the 90s and even 80s. Best football I think I've ever watched, actually. Uh, you guys kind of agree? Uh, do, do, do you pick out uh, best team? Best teams. Uh, Barcelona, Stoichkov era, Barcelona, Messi era. That would, this... that would be yours, is it, Azran? I mean, that AC Milan team was a fantastic, fantastic team. Stylish. Uh, you know, under Marcello Lippi, they had, well, they had the defense of all ages, right? They had mm. Maldini, Costa Curta, Baresi. So, yeah, uh, again, this is not that Milan. So, but this is not the, the classic vintage Spurs either. So, anything can really happen. So, there you go. But I would just, I would say also, this is, this is a vintage Spurs because <laughs> this is vintage Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a break now. But in a moment, we're going to wrap up with the Europa League here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And welcome back to part four with me, Cam, Sean and Asran. And now we look at the Europa League. We're going to be concentrating on the Premier League teams that are involved. So please forgive me, fans of uh, trying to look it up, all the other teams involved. So we're going to start with the match between... Sporting Lisbon and Arsenal. Arsenal will be taking this seriously, uh, but I'm wondering if they have the squad depth, Azran, and boarding a fifth in Portugal and uh, Arsenal. Well, I mean, the league is the priority. For sure. I, I think what they want to do is ensure that they play well to keep on their momentum, to keep on their rhythm. Winning would be a plus, of course, but obviously the league is their main priority. And they haven't got the squad to go uh, on all, on both fronts. So what we'll see is probably a bit of a shuffling up of uh, the Arsenal team that played against Bournemouth. But yeah, they're playing against Sporting Lisbon. As you put it, Sporting Lisbon hasn't ha had a good season. They've lost a couple of their good players. They're fifth in their league. So even with you know a rotated Arsenal team, we might see an Arsenal win. Uh, I Probably I don't see Arsenal losing here. Uh, so it's all about for Arsenal. It's all about maintaining the momentum, maintaining the confidence for them to bring forward to the league over the weekend. So uh, I do see Arsenal continuing to play well and probably winning against a uh, Sporting Lisbon side that has struggled. 
And uh, Sean, I don't know how how much you watch of uh, Premier League, but absolute this... loads. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal, even with their B team, I don't know if they'll put out their B team, but they could put out their B team. It'd be the right thing to do, even with their B team. Can they sweep aside Sporting Lisbon? I think this was a home tie. Sure, there are certain players that I believe you know have played their way or deserve a chance at playing in the Europa League. Reese Nelson's a good a good shout to get a chance to play. Plagued with injuries this season. Possibly their man of the match over the weekend, you know, providing one assist and also scoring the, the winning goal. So even with their B team, they can go to Lisbon and and, and probably get a, a one nil or a one nil or a two nil. But on European nights, I've noticed with Sporting Lisbon, they have I mean, look at how they play against Spurs. Now we can all make the joke it's only Spurs. But they really pushed Spurs all the way in in the Champions League tie before they got you know demoted into the Europa League. So don't entirely write them off just yet. There's a kid that plays for Sporting Lisbon. I forgot his name. I'm so sorry, but he's from Spurs Academy, if I'm not mistaken. So he's been a bright spark for them in the team, and a lot of, a lot of teams around Europe have been looking at him too. So. I personally feel Arsenal will scrape this win, but it, again, it's a two-legged affair. But I, I feel Lisbon can get a goal in this. Uh, Asran, do you know? Do you know the name of this uh, kid of whom Sean speaks? Yes, I. I the problem is that his name has left uh, me yesterday. Obviously, I'm still in seventh heaven. Sorry. Okay. So, <laughs> He's still drunk, <laughs> drunk with victory. Marcus uh, Edwards is his name. Marcus Edwards. Uh, oh, oh, is he? He's, he's English then, is he? Yes, he's English. Marcus Edwards. He's only 24 years old. He's really, really good. Uh, okay, so let's um, let's let's wrap up this show. Give it give it a circularity. We began with Manchester United being thrashed by Liverpool seven nil. So now, Asran, Manchester United are going up against Real Betis. Uh, Real Betis are fifth in La Liga, and I I don't know if it if it would destroy the spirit or just make people more angry, but uh, they've the quadruple. Let's forget that now. The treble is still on for Manchester United. Can they win this this time? <laughs> uh, again, I'm I'm sure even the most ardent of fans like Sean as well wouldn't see them, you know, really concentrating or trying to win the treble. Uh, but uh, winning a title, a cup or two, doesn't hurt. Uh, they've won one, and I think they've got every single chance to go through in the Europa League. We've mentioned about the fact that Real Betis has lost two of the most influential players. And United, yesterday's result was really a blip. They've played really, really well uh, this season. So I think probably yesterday's result is sort of a, a slap in the face that they needed to ensure that, look, we're not there yet. We're still a team in the rebuilding process. However, we're in the right direction. So I see them probably back to at least, if it's not winning ways, uh, a, a team that is will play well uh, against um, Real Betis. And in normal circumstances, uh, I don't see anything else but a United victory uh, in midweek. Even as a Liverpool fan, as hard as it is to admit that, I see uh, United being too strong uh, for Real Betis. So, Sean, uh, Manchester United fan, I, I got to say, looking at you this week, you don't really have that kind of Roy Keane, how dare you beat me, I'll show you, <laughs> I'm going to fight back kind of thing. A, bit, a little bit of a rollover and kind of feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that, that spirit is important uh, for Manchester United moving forwards. But they do have the quality and the Europa League really is a possibility. And 
they will be putting their eggs in that basket, won't they? Oh, for sure. The 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 reason why I'm not entirely, you know, disheartened by the mauling that happened last night. Yes, Liverpool, losing to Liverpool is a terrible experience as a United fan because you have to live with it not only for the next coming days, but possibly to the end of the season. And as I said, biggest defeat in 92 years. So possibly in my entire lifetime. I look at it as every defeat United has had this season, start the season, losing back-to-back games to Brentford and Brighton. Eric Ten Hag put things right with the team. He dropped certain players who underperformed, made them run, as we all famously know about. He gets things right once United do things wrong, which is something many managers before Eric Ten Hag have failed to do. I look at it as a blessing in disguise. In a way, I'm very thankful to Liverpool for humbling United because United needed it. Every one of the United fans knew it was coming, just didn't expect it to be against Liverpool at Anfield. But it will, in my honest opinion, I think it galvanizes the team because you don't, you know, lose seven nil on a Sunday and then four days later go out and and put in another bad performance. You need a a bounce back and a, a big bounce back. And I'm very confident of a big bounce back. It's heightened because you know I know for a fact that Batista are losing two of their most important players for this game. They're losing Nabil Fakir, who's not only just a important playmaker for them, but also can provide many goals for them. He's out for the rest of the season with an ACL injury. And they're also losing Sergio Canales, who's another very important player for them in midfield. So United has pretty much a a full-string team, aside from the likes of Anthony Martial being injured. But the blessing in disguise that I was talking about is there were players over the weekend that to me, don't deserve to start the game against Batiste. And I'm very sure that Eric Ten Hag... Name, look names, at like, name, names, names, names. For me, it, it's simple. The two people that you expect a lot from, Bruno Fernandes as your captain, right? I doubt you would drop your most creative player, but the attitude he had against Liverpool as captain is unforgivable for me. And secondly is Anthony. I've given him a lot of... Uh, I've, been a, I've been very patient with him, right? But that 100 million looms over big, big time. And you're supposed to be a very creative player. You're not providing that for United at the moment. United have two other wingers who can play on that side, who right now have every opportunity to grasp the opportunity if it's given to them, which I think the opportunity will be given to them in the likes of Jaden Sancho and, and Ganacho. So these two boys have every opportunity to show that, hey, you know what? You may have a £100 million uh, signing in Anthony, but we can perform too. And I think United... I wouldn't say coast through a victory here, but I I see a comfortable victory in like a 3-1 or a 2-0. So there you go. The most uh, popular team in the world. The world still, I think so. Uh, It's simple, right? When United does well, everyone wishes their downfall. When United is going through their downfall, everyone bask in that. So Uh, I would say... uh, That's just football (laughs) fan talk. People like Aston Villa fans, Brentford fans will say the same thing. So anyway, (laughs) can uh, Manchester United bounce back from that horrific defeat against Liverpool? We shall see. But for now, I'd like to thank a happy Azran Rosane. Thank you, everyone. Have a good evening. I mean, evening, everyone. <laughs> and a philosophical but ultimately sad Sean Mahutra. I'm fine. I'm great, guys. Seven nil. Ah, I'll forget it after a few. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a have a great week, everyone. <laughs> okay. And from my, myself, Cam Ruslan, and our producer for this episode, Daryl Ong. It's been just for kicks here on BFM eighty nine point nine. One way, Salas the other. He's on an old 
Football tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8 p.m. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.